Hello everyone and welcome to the second podcast in Upstream's new Uplift series. I'm Prema Gurunathan, Managing Director of Upstream. Upstream is a partnership between Imperial College London and Hammersmith and Fulham Council. We are a product of a local industrial strategy jointly published by these two organisations. Our work is very much driven by the belief that strong local networks, that is relationships between people in a geographical area, can facilitate collaboration, learning, and critically accelerate the growth of organizations and places themselves. Our vision is to turn Hammersmith and Fulham into a destination for ambitious science, tech and creative organizations with a thriving ecosystem and with White City at the epicenter of an inclusive innovation district. Since 2018, we have connected, supported and shone a light on the science, tech and creative sectors. With this in mind, the Uplift podcast brings together two organisations as we seek to break down barriers and make new connections, whether it is between a biotech startup and a creative agency, people based in the same building, across the road or at opposite ends of a very long, thin borough. Now, we are recording this just before the end of May bank holiday, and there's a feeling that we could be going to back to some kind of normal from the 21st of June. So this podcast is dedicated to those of you who feel it has been a long time since you experienced those delightful, uplifting vignettes you'd gain from a chat in the lift or just eavesdropping on someone else's conversations. Now, in anticipation of a return to the office, Uplift aims to mimic those lift rides, uh, preferably without the awkward uh, silences. So that's what we're aiming for today. And I'm delighted to have with us today, Professor Dale Russell from the Royal College of Art and Lloyd Lee from U Capital. I'm going to introduce them and then get down to business shortly. But what you need to know is that they have never met either virtually or in person. Now, uh, Dale Russell is professorial mentor and specialist advisor to the Innovation Design Engineering, that's IDE, the Royal College of Art and Imperial College Double Masters Program. And she's also an honorary fellow at the Royal College of Art. She's also a senior fellow at Central St. Martins and on the advisory board of Brunel University School of Design. Dale is internationally acknowledged as an interdisciplinary futurist, design practitioner and academic. She started off designing clothes for musicians, including Jimi Hendrix and Fleetwood Mac while she was studying at St. Martin's in the 60s. She then went on to the BBC's costume uh, department, working on programs including Doctor Who and Monty Python's Flying Circus. She has formed long-term consultancy relationships as creative director and futurologist across a diverse blue chip portfolio, including Unilever, Samsung and Philips Lighting, where she has contributed to the development of the widest range of technologies from the telephone, mobile, smartphone and the Internet of Things. Um, in 1991, she taught with Professor Roger Coleman on the first Design Age Innovation Design Engineering project, the Safeway Shopping Trolley. And uh, Dale recently celebrated over 30 years association with the IDE and the RCA. And she has combined her commercial practice in academia. She believes in the role of transdisciplinary learning with a focus on the human as we develop new technologies and disruptive design to foster a socially responsible future. Now, our other guest this afternoon is Lloyd Lee, who is managing partner of U Capital Management. 
New Capital has several property developments in Hammersmith and Fulham, including a magnificent overhaul of Olympia London, where the first new theatre in London will open since the National in 1976. In addition, New Capital is redeveloping the old laundry yard, Shepherd's Bush Market, and most recently, it supported the creation of Meanwhile Artist Studios at the former St. Mungo's Hospital near Goldhawk Road. Lloyd has overall responsibility for U Capital's investment strategy, as well as the originating and negotiating its uh, major transactions. He has around 25 years experience in real estate, private equity and principal investing and has been involved in 12 billion pounds of real estate acquisitions, private and public corporate opportunities and asset management turnarounds across the UK, EU, the US and emerging markets. Now you can draw a very clear no nonsense line from Lloyd's academic background to his career. So he graduated from Harvard with a fine arts degree in the history of architecture before a master's at Cornell in real estate and finance. Welcome both of you. Now let's do the um, kind of really basics first, which is, uh, Starting with Dale, would you tell us a bit more of the footprint of your organization, in this case, the Royal College of Art in Hammersmith and Fulham in about two minutes, if possible, and then on to uh, Lloyd. Um, the Royal College of Art now is over three sites. When I first worked with them, um, it was purely in South Kensington. It's now White City and Battersea, and with a vast um, building going on at the moment by Herzog de Moron. So it's very exciting futures. Um, my first introduction with the RCA was actually when I was school going to the dances and hearing amazing bands playing. <laughs> so it's a long-term relationship as I grew up around the corner. Um, I also um, am very aware of the fact that IDE is um, really, I can't put the students into one pocket. They come from all over the place. So you will have a specialist in medical science. You will have another person that is looking at environmental issues in oceans that we haven't even thought of um, creating one, um, things such as new corals to attract coral to grow better. So it's um, a very broad spectrum. Also straightforward product design, um, but that, I feel it's not really fair to IDE to put them under that label. It's far greater. Thank you, Dale. Uh, Lloyd, over to you. Sure. So over the last uh, 10, 12 years since setting up U Capital, uh, the focus of the firm has been predominantly central London. Uh, and what we love about central London is that it allows us to focus on a few key areas in real estate. The first is that you tend to see us focus much more in the placemaking arena. And Olympia, Shepherd's Bush Market, and a number of other, other investments over the years uh, play very much into uh, what we think makes great places. Uh, number two is that it also uh, the strategies that we deploy tend to also focus on key sectors that we think London uh, considers strategic to the growth of London. Um, so today we focus a lot on the creative industries uh, and we focus a lot on the life sciences, uh, mainly because we think those two sectors have tremendous growth potential in London. The talent pools are already here. 
Um, and what needs to happen is we not only need to create the spaces for those industries to continue to grow and attract the best talent, but we also need to do it in a thoughtful way that enables those places to do more than serve a singular function. The, the thing that makes London great is that buildings and real estate when done right can serve multiple functions throughout the day, throughout the week, uh, in the evenings, in the mornings, in the noons, in the, in the weekends. Um, and those are the places that move from becoming just destinations. I go to a place, to a, a place where you actually go because it's where you dwell, uh, where you enjoy going just for the sake of being there. Um, and I think the confluence of those two things, both sector-driven specific initiatives with great placemaking is a combination that we think is very powerful um, and we think is definitely part of the future of real estate in major cities around the world, including London. Thank you, Lloyd. Um, I'm going to, I've given your, you know, kind of run through, but your biographies. And I think the one thing is, you know, you both have a degree of creativity in your work and you've both described that in a way. So, how would you put a really, how would you perhaps define it concisely? So how would you define creativity within your own professional fields? Um, I was wondering, Lloyd might go first. Sure. Um, I think that creativity um, involves all manner of different elements, but the one that we tend to focus on the most is eliminating the barriers. That's usually one of the first things that happens in real estate. I have to build something. It has to be this tall and that fat and this wide and has to have planning and regulations and building control. But when you eliminate the technicalities, which always end up making their way back to the table, but if you eliminate them at first and you ask someone, what do you really want? What's important to you about this place? What will transform the way you do business? How the world sees your business? how you engage with the community. Um, all of a sudden, what you find is that when you engage in uh, that level of discussion early on, you do get oftentimes a radically creative answer that you would not get if you said, well, how many square feet do you need? How high does the ceiling need to be? And how many windows do you want? Um, and that for us is part of where visions like Olympia have come from where we went to the creative sector, we went to the theater industry, we went to the jazz clubs and the hotel operators and the restaurant operators. And we said, what blows your mind? 14 acres, West London, views 360 degrees across all of London. Tell us what blows your mind. Let's go and just eliminate the barriers for the moment and figure out what could be amazing. And then inevitably we will have to dial it back so that it's financially responsible, it's sustainable, it's built properly uh, for the long term. But let's just start there. And I cannot tell you how much uh, we've learned from our partners who are remarkably creative when we've eliminated those barriers to thought and creativity and allowed the creativity to drive the functionality. Um, that's been a big part of how we've done business. Dale, I wondered if you might have a response and perhaps your own answer to how you define creativity in your field. Well, in fact, I find a tremendous merging with um, Lloyd's description. Uh, but 
For me, I actually just feel that it's original thinking, it's understanding the problems. So there's a pragmatic part. So I'm coming out as the pragmatic one um, rather than the exciting <laughs> expertise of um, brainstorming, etc. So it's understanding the problem and it's diverse expertise, working with groups of people that really understand and can take the creative process in directions that were never thought of. So every project takes a new perspective. Um, and with that, I found that um, it's opening your mind to holding the unknown. And while working with multidisciplinary teams of experts to reveal the concept and then taking it on to be resolved in an innovative um, process. And I've taken influences. When I was at school, I learned Russian and I met Yuri Gagarin six weeks after he returned from space and had tea with him in the Russian embassy. Um, and I realized that technology can happen and give you the vision that you really wanted and created in your mind and makes it real. And that for me is so special. And hearing also about theater, um, having worked in television when we were black and white and live TV when I first started and we went through the whole processes of sound and recorded and colour. It's, I mean, it's funny, yes, uh, Dale, you're coming across as the pragmatic one and Lloyd has got the vision, but I, I'm sure what you both agree and you've both experienced is, you know, what are the tensions um, between having to meet the bottom line because you've both got a you know, both, both have corporate clients or you work in a corporate world. So what are the tensions between having to meet this bottom line, you know, be it through happy customers, tenants or innovation teams and, and that tension between bottom line and creativity? Um, can you kind of uh, delve into those and perhaps tell us uh, one or two lessons you've learned? Um, perhaps Dale could go first. Um, my position has always been, I've always been seen because it's seen as futures and there's quite a barrier sometimes. And it's, how are you going to, why have we got her there? And in early days, it was definitely her as well. Um, and what I found was if they understood that I understood their needs, possibilities, and the possi possibilities for outcomes, and then rewriting the brief with them enabling a more creative vision or perspective. Um, that took me on board with people that wanted a brief and allowed it to open up. And then the vision for creative process, it was the ability to enable others to fully understand the rationale and related purpose for these somewhat seem, the dreaded word for me in early days when I worked with um, BT, and this was in the 70s, was wacky. It was seen as wacky ideas. And one of those wacky ideas, we had a concept to have a watch, well, it wasn't in those days, I'm not telling the truth, just a band on a child's wrist as they went to school. And they put their hand on the wall when they arrived in school and a light went on at home. Well, it's taken us this much time to have that happen. And so some take a long, long time and you have to know your parameters when you're going in to work on new concepts as to how long you've got, first of all, to take this through in a process of revolution possibly. And secondly, 
in practical terms, how long will these future concepts take to resolve and bring out to market or into action? Understood. Lloyd? To market or into action. Understood. Lloyd? So I think, I think the way that we've typically approached um, being financially responsible, right? Fiscal responsibility is important. Uh, we are fiduciaries. We invest money on behalf of both the partners in the firm, but also major institutions, uh, you know, sovereign wealth capital. Um, so as a result, we have a big responsibility there. And the way that, that we tend to focus on marrying the two up, which is, is raw creativity and uh, an extreme sense of financial responsibility, is that um, you have to avoid um, building uh, a creative vision up from the bean counting. And the reason is because you've automatically started with the wrong premise, which is that I'm just gonna focus on a bunch of costs and a bunch of revenues without understanding the dynamics of the market and what's going to really move the needle. And sometimes in a very rapidly changing environment or a major global leading city, which is always at the cutting edge of future trends. If you go from the ground up based on what you saw four years ago, because that's market supportable information, you end up just doing what's already been done. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that sometimes. But, it, but if you're trying to basically say, I'm going to create something, then you're not gonna do it by looking in the rear view mirror all the time. And so what we tend to do is we eliminate those barriers for the moment. And I always, always promise everyone in the room, trust me on this one, I will be ruthless when I bring the money back into the table. But right now, that's not this time. What is going to move the needle in probably the most prominent city in the world for future innovation, future leadership in the creative industries, in life sciences, in education, in finance, um, in many industries. And what we find is once you've basically unlocked people from those parameters and they can explain to you what actually moves the needle in their business, how they need to engage with the public, what they're looking for in real estate, how hospitality is evolving as an industry today, not just because of COVID, because it was already moving. Look at the changes in the high street. That's been accelerated by COVID, but it was already here in 2019, 2018, people could see the high street already evolving. When you understand the key dynamic factors in the industry, and you can understand radically how you can start to think about the next generation to improve or change those businesses, then you have a concept that actually does work in a vacuum. And you understand that the reason it works is because that is the future and that is where demand is taking you. Once you have active demand, then you have something to hold on to, which is someone will pay for this. Then you have to basically be ruthless and disciplined about how you actually bring forward the financial investment to deliver a version of that creative dynamic vision. Um, and that's what we do uh, in-house quite a lot in working with world-class partners. And that leads me to the final piece, which is in all of our visions, whether they're in the life sciences or the creative industries or other forms of mixed use, if you're going to basically 
um, create dynamic real estate and drive more creativity out of it, more forward thinking solutions and drive more revenue out of it, you're not gonna do all of that in-house. The best way to do it to protect your investors is to go get really world-class partners who are the leaders in those industries. So if you look at what we've done at Olympia, there's a reason why we have partnered with Hyatt Hotels and Citizen M and AEG, who are the owners of the O2 in the music live entertainment venue or Trafalgar Entertainment, one of the preeminent leaders in Soho West End theater and now theater around the world. Um, it's because it allowed us to feel confident that we could have a bold creative vision, focus on the financial delivery and know that going forward, we had the world's best partner running or occupying that space or that venue with us and for us to ensure that it has long-term sustainability. Thank you, Lloyd. Um, Dale, I, I wonder if you have a response to that. And perhaps, um, I mean, you said at the start, you've, you've been around probably since, since the 60s, really. And the question, therefore, is, you know, has the view and the treatment of creativity in the workplace changed since you started work? Yes, amazingly. Um, what I, uh, well, one, I have to applaud um, everything that Lloyd's just said, and it was um, in a way at the very beginning when I worked in the early 70s with BT as it was a public company, we had freedom and finance to work on futures. Um, the World Wide Web was developed um, and also you could have uh, individuals seen as heroes and um, working with people that were maybe from other worlds, but seen as someone that um, had a vision brought in and then not expected to take it any further. That was the danger. So it would go in-house after they had one introduction with that person. Um, now, companies are quite top heavy with management, I find. Um, but because they've invited me in, they see that they've got to allow their resource freedom or else it wasn't worth bringing me in. So I have that. And I think quite often design teams want me there to enable that to happen. So it, it allows me to bond very quickly with the team. Um, and so we're, we're allowed now to um, work in a faster, more innovative way. But design is a crowded world now. And it also means that the exciting work we're taking is into new innovation territories. And this is recognized um, areas that weren't being dealt with so well. And again, I was hearing this from Lloyd. So it's looking at sustainability, it's looking at social behaviors, it's looking at the needs. So the brief will contain far more of the human aspect alongside um, world beating technologies. I think that um, for us, one of the elements um, that, that Dale has picked up on, which we find particularly a focus in real estate is obviously um, the dynamic between the digital world and the real world. Um, and the reason is because real estate, right, by definition is, for lack of a better term, the real world. It's the world you actually go see and touch and feel. Um, but the digital world has had an enormous impact on everything in the world, including real estate. Um, and so the question I think that we face all the time is, um, how can it be a tool to enhance the real estate world, and there are many, many examples of where we think that that is the case. Uh, number two is 
where has the digital world challenged the real estate world to do better? And we talked about the high street. I think that's a great example. You know, the idea that you can basically click a button and it's delivered to your door and 90% of the everyday things you buy, you no longer have to go for a walk or a drive or a bike ride to go get. They just are delivered to your door. Um, and in many cases, a little bit more cheaply because they've got buying power has been a huge gauntlet that the digital world has thrown down on the high street, which is I can sell what you can sell faster, better, cheaper. Um, and so as a result, it has forced many sectors to rethink what am I going to do if I'm in the real world to improve the experience? And that's what a lot of the world is looking for today, improve the experience in the real world that makes you say, I want to go out into the real world to see, touch and experience that because I cannot do it in the digital realm. And it's no, there's no question that what we see is that the real estate um, community is being challenged to deliver great experiences. Um, and in many respects, that is why I think businesses like ours have come to the fore over the last 10 years, because we have always focused on great places and great place making and trying to drive those visions into our real estate in a way that is also gonna generate more revenue out of the real estate. Um, and I think that trend we see continuing for some time to come. That one thing to do with SMART and um, taking on what Lloyd was saying. So um, what is also happening with design and um, technology is that as well as some um, SMART networks, we're having interconnected hubs and biomorphic principles enabling ecosystems. We're having sensor networks, we're having living lights um, and the streets, we're having high-rise farms, we're having smart buildings, delivery drones, robo-taxis, we're getting self-driving cars. So the whole environment is going to change and fit with these new buildings that are going, and I think the high-rise farm is really exciting, but it's also meaning that we still have to retain the culture of entertainment, of meeting one another if we're going to be in this AI um, networked world. We need to see human to human. Thank you, Dale. Uh, and you're slightly preempting one of my questions, so I'm going to bring it forward. Uh, it's okay. So it's on technological innovation. And Dale, I obviously introduced you as a futurist. What kind of future do you think we are facing with the technological developments we see to get today? And what makes you hopeful and what leaves you worried? Um, well, it's, yeah, I really am, I'm mixed feelings with this because we've, a robot will be commonplace in the home, cooking, um, cleaning. I've seen them, I, you know, the whole bit. So if you don't like to clean, great. If you like to cook, nightmare. So, um, but having smart heating, having customizable home decor, um, I hate that expression. But the, the, it was put under that term. I was invited to view an experiment doing this. Um, having uh, uh, the augmented reality to look at things that you wouldn't be able to see in such a way in the home looking at a screen. Um, so you have the idea of 3D printing, you have intelligent walls, you have recycling and 3D printing clothing. Uh, and those aren't so, um, advanced, advanced, but then you look at rainwater harvesting and um, 
as we get to pedestrian sky walkways. <laughs> and if you think of how we are at the moment, it is going ahead so far. Construction of houses in 3D and 4D printing, um, self-healing materials we already have, but they're becoming more and more advanced. So I could go on and on about what is there for the future. But also, if we take a step forward and move another 20 years, we're going to have buildings in the sky, underground, underwater, as well as on the earth itself. And which bits leave you most hopeful? I mean, what would you like to see in 20 years time? What would be the one thing? I think medical. I think the idea of creating homes for people that can't afford their own home. Um, I think harvesting and making land sustainable. Uh, so ecology is so important with this because we have a first world and we definitely have a third world. And I think the middle is top, toppling into the third. So it's helping that and yet retaining the beauty in the first world as well. So it goes across all people. It's a really nice um, way to describe it. Lloyd, um, what, what scares you? What, uh, what, what are you hopeful about? Anything interesting going into any of your developments? Um, I think that the thing about technology is what I am most hopeful about is also what scares me the most. Uh, and a good example is that digital platforms have become a massive equalizer in this world, socially, because it's given a voice to every single person on the, on, who's available to access the internet. That's not everyone, but it's a lot more people than could have been doing it you know, 25 years ago. Uh, and I think that equalizer has definitely demonstrated the power that it has given to the people. Uh, equally, that same power has also created a very tumultuous um, onslaught of data and information for which there is literally no filter, none. And so you end up with garbage. But the problem is the garbage has just as much profile if you spin it right in the digital world as, as the stuff of caliber and quality. Um, and so it's very difficult when you're a human being, your brain power hasn't gone up 4,000 billion fold, but the, but the digital world has. And as a result, what happens is there's this break point where all of a sudden people realize I've just got overload. I don't know how to filter anything anymore. Um, and that I think is a risk. And when you take that out to its logical conclusion where you've got great technology working on things in buildings or factories, but it's also therefore potentially replacing the human element, you have to kind of be careful for what you wish for. But overall, I would say I'm generally net positive on the level of progress that our society has um, been blessed to enjoy in the last few generations because of technological advancements. There's longevity, lifespan, cures, life sciences, the quality of living, um, I agree with Dale. I think that now needs to be expanded into the third world, but I think 3D printing, um, cellular wireless technology are things that are enabling that to move across into other countries 
which again, 50 or 70 years ago, you could never have done because you literally had to go and lay the wire yourself. And I think that's powerful. Dale, I, I can see that you're chomping at the bit. Um, it's purely that I think you would be delighted with what's going on with the students at the Royal College of Arts at the moment on my course, because this idea of not censoring data or information or having to create a persona that stops things coming in, but they're coming up with far better ideas than that. So there are projects where it's people, are, and I, by people I mean students and others that are working in other places, they are very aware of all that's going on. Um, and it is, and also politically, it's terrifying. Um, so, you know, we have everything there from one-to-one -one bullying to whatever. So with that, there's a, there are a lot of projects working at the moment and that's where technology, I am really hopeful and, and feel confident is going to beat technology. Good way to put it. Uh, thank you, Dale. Uh, I am slightly aware of time. Uh, so I'm going to move on to the next question, which is um, now the reason, another reason actually I wanted to put the two of you together because I really do matchmaking in my mind of who's going to get on and going to have stuff to talk about from organizational perspective actually just personalities and so the reason why I wanted to put the two of you together is because you are both forces of nature and you're incredibly driven people and the question is what motivates you uh Dale uh, Lloyd then Dale um I think that what made it motivates uh me um and pretty much every member of the firm is we genuinely love what we do. And that helps. It's, it's never fun to go to work and have to punch the clock. You just can't wait till the time clock is over. Um, and I think that being in a city as dynamic as London puts you in a very privileged position um, in many respects. But from an industry perspective, it allows you to uh, take up the mantle of the future, work with really world-class people, um, and make extraordinarily brave and dynamic choices in your investments to move the needle. Um, and as long as when you do it, you're doing it in a way that's also fiscally responsible because it has to be, it is really exciting. And I have to say, whether you're working in, in the life sciences, we're, we're hoping to work in partnership with a major university in the UK on creating a new life sciences incubator lab in London, uh, or whether you're working to really push the needle on new entertainment, performing arts, stage and theater in London, um, which hasn't been done at this scale in a few generations. It's really exciting and it gets us up in the morning. And I, I hope to think that in the next year or two, you will see us continue down those two major tracks in London, across London, um, in really allowing world-class and local communities to come together to create great places with us. Dale. Um, my answer is really short. Um, I feel that um, we've, we've got to the point now where um, we are seeing and um, holding things within our hands that aren't yet there. And it is that sense and belief of what could be and should be and can be. So in that way, it's, a, it's very abstract 
On the other level, it's extremely practical because you're seeing designers, technologies, um, all sorts of aspects coming together that could work in a way to build this. It's not just a dream, it's a practical dream. Thank you. Um, next question. Uh, we're on networks and Upstream was obviously founded uh, in the belief that stronger networks mean organizations and people do better. And, you know, I've been through our vision, which is inclusive, thriving ecosystem. And I suppose my question around networks is how have you benefited from networks in your own life? In your, and if we want to build an exciting, innovative and inclusive borough and network within Hammersmith and Fulham, what other steps do you see as key in the building of this? Well, I have been very, very lucky because I, I'm with two different colleges plus Design Against Crime Research Centre plus my work. I have an extensive network anyway but the best one I find is having students met by people working with the companies that I'm working with and then they're given jobs so that's a lovely outcome but also from my own perspective I'm married to an artist I have friends that are working in very different fields so I feel my personal network is very creative and strong um, and I'm also mother of an artist, so it's uh, coming in that way. But with um, taking a role with the Royal Society of Arts or any of the places where people meet together that are already within that world, it's not as useful as meeting random people. And I've only known you for a while and I've already been contacted by amazing people. Um, Upstream has, introduced me because they've contacted me um, to people that I didn't know exist and are doing very exciting things. And then we also have Helene Steiner and Open Cell, which relates back to Lloyd. So um, I believe in networks that feel coincidental, but they're not, they're pretty contrived. It's an interesting way to put it. Uh, thank you, Lloyd. So I think that um, in the same way that we try to keep the aperture open very, very wide when we start thinking about the creative process, we do that. We do exactly that, the identical thing when we meet people and when we think about who's out in the world and how the network works for us and with us um, and how we can be a value add member of that network um, wherever it may lead. And in keeping the aperture open, you know, I think that Dale brings up an interesting point. It is sometimes those slightly random um, discussions that lead someplace very interesting. We have uh, 96 different firms and in some cases, independent consultants acting for us at Olympia alone. Um, and they range from some of the largest public companies in the world who specialize in whatever they specialize in all the way to the most decorated 27 year old photographer of his generation, who is the youngest photographer ever to have a permanent exhibit at the Smithsonian um, in Washington, uh, Ryan Singer. Uh, and Ryan is one of those people who has a remarkably diverse network of people that he has known and come across through his walk of life that reaches all the way from New York City to London to Central Africa. 
Um, and, and he is by trade an artist uh, and entrepreneur. And I think what we find is when you do a lot of listening and you open the aperture wide um, and you're talking to people about what moves the needle for them, you often find some very, very interesting things where whether you're the big multinational or you are the individual artist, you find a storyline that you can write at um, London in Olympia or Shepherd's Bush Market, or we're working on some projects in Westminster and Southwark right now and in Camden, where suddenly what happens is the ability for them to tell that story is interesting to them. And then it is our job to integrate it into the fabric of the place so that it becomes so interesting a place that the people will come. And we all know what it's like in the real world. Once you have people wanting to come to a place, that's when they will eat and they will shop and they will work and they will live and they will play there. And that's where the real estate community starts to be able to make it a financially viable equation to do that. Um, and it's the network of people who are the authors of all of those storylines with us. And so that's been a very powerful part of our business for many years now. And, and it is, is being part of unique networks that has been particularly valuable to us. Dale, do you want to come in? I really um, applaud what was just said by Lloyd. Um, and I wanted to um, also expand on this idea of it by contrived having somebody place a person with another person um, and it working. And it can be quite random or appear to be um, dangerous. So I was put together with by Herman Miller um, to work on a project of hot desking. Um, and the person they put me with was Ray Bradbury. So I had the um, sci-fi storyteller and I was to work with him to make reality and then work with teams to create the spaces that hot desking could exist in. And it was the most fantastic project. So this idea of placing randomness and this goes back to the idea of upstream and the lift. I think it's a wonderful metaphor for in fact how I have been working. Thank you, Dale. I, I think we're going to write a little essay called In Praise of Randomness, really, uh, or it's randomness and serendipity. Um, thank you. Now, penultimate question, actually, which is how much did you know about each other and each other's organizations at the start of this podcast? And what's the key thing you've learned from the session? Um, Lloyd, would you like to go first? Uh, I have not come across Dale in the past, but even just reading your bio, Dale, I was already fascinated. Uh, and I will say the one thing I have learned is I would love if you've got some time um, to sit down around a table or around a you know, computer screen uh, to learn and listen a bit more because we, we find that some of our most uh, some of our most innovative ideas in real estate come from people who um, live outside the box. They're not even thinking outside the box. Like I am outside the box, right? Um, and that for us is exciting because by definition, our world um, is starting inside the box, but because we are London, because we are always at the front edge of what real estate is about and the tumultuous changes that I've just said are happening in our industry, it means by definition, 
we're going to be pushing some of those boundaries, but in a way that needs to be done properly. Um, and the way that we do that is we listen to people who are already in the know. Um, so I'd love to spend some time with you, Dale, and just listen, actually. It's mutual. I want to listen to you. Um, I, I love this idea of the open-minded creative. It's not what I was expecting. And it was an absolute treat. Um, I am really um, astounded at how it is possible to have a conversation that is actually going to end up with people working in business, in, in real estate, in money, but for me with factories, if one can call them that now, um, and end product and still enable creativity to be the driver. And that is so important. The other thing is I, I've always believed in, um, I hold my hand up and it, is it heavy with what you're saying or is it just floating away and it's heavy. So um, I think there's, um, you also, I can tell that you've had that arts background and working with architects and artists. And um, a, my daughter lives in Southwark and um, I watch what happens there as well. But Hammersmith and Shepherd's Bush is important to me because it's my territory. Um, Hammersmith isn't so much, but Shepherd's Bush definitely. So when you put this together and you look at this sense of experience for opening up a dialogue, midway through a dialogue you're not thinking when do I start the sentence you actually jump in and the dialogue flows and it's just wonderful when that happens. So this is what I call the word association round and it's it's slightly easier when you're all together um, and it's actually delves from I used to do improv classes so it's one of those things whether we could get to the stage where we both said the same word it's difficult over zoom so but I just want to test you and we had interesting uh, results the last time okay Dale we're starting with you exhibitions exciting Olympia vaccinations pain but good future freedom squirrels pesky nuts and fascinating open parks for people innovation it's not here yet but will be good london dominic cummings unknown territory fascinating not sure at all i want to read the end time will tell jimmy hendrix music that's stunning yeah, he's cool right that's it really um so thank you very much uh dale and lloyd um for your uh conversations we're actually kind of letting us peek into your conversation today is very much appreciated and thank you to our listeners